I'm a, I am a smart person. I really hate media that makes me feel stupid. And I, I know that that's not the intention of either of these, but I have a, we'll get into okay, it. Okay, cool. <laughs> it's like, is this something we're unpacking on the show? Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media. I am one of your co-hosts, Pete Romberg, and this weekend I am enjoying the lovely whiplash that is springtime in the Great Lakes region. 75 and sunny on Friday, 50 degrees and rainy on Sunday. Joining me, as always, is my fellow co-host. Uh, Martha Sullivan and... The, the only pithy thing that I can think of to label myself as right now is wannabe uh, distance runner. Ooh, nice. <laughs> yeah, I am uh, working. I have signed up for the Chicago Half Marathon uh, in the optimistic uh, hope that by September, by the end of September, we will be able to um, participate <laughs> do, do things like that. in large-scale events while also... <laughs> being prepared for the fact that they will probably end up rescheduling it. Um, but yeah, I, I signed up for that. So I've been uh, kind of informally training for that. Nice. So, And you, you ran a 10K fairly recently, right? I did. It was supposed to be an in-person one. It got turned into a virtual one, mm -hmm. you know, because we live in the world that we do. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, that was the first time that I had run longer than a 5K. So I run a couple miles twice a week with my mom now. We run on, we meet wearing our face masks and we run on opposite sides of the street. <laughs> um, and then uh, once a week or once every other week, I try to do like a, um, a longer, uh, like a 10K or a, you know, mm -hmm. eight to 10 mile kind of deal. Mm -hmm. um, nice. Good on you. Uh, yeah, I, I'm stuck in the five to six k realm, and I'm I'm trying to push past that. But the, what I just I just that was where I had been before I ran the ten k, and then I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna do it, and it's gonna take as long as it takes. Mm -hmm. um, I've been working on a five miles on two minutes walk, so mm. or five mile run two minute walk pattern, mm -hmm. um, and I just did that for the whole time and. You know, I, I was not the fastest, I think, at the end of that. I My pace was about <clears throat> uh, 14 and a half mm -hmm. minute mm -hmm. average, um, but I finished it. Yeah. So, Which is what matters. And when my mom and I run, since we're running shorter, we just run the whole time. So I've been working on my speed mm -hmm. on those runs and then just focusing on finishing longer distances. Sure. Yeah, nice. Um, I'm I'm excited for the weather trend to get just warmer, uh, so that I will be running more. Uh, beginning of this whole quarantine thing, I was doing a lot of indoor uh, cycling, uh, just because I don't run when it's 45 degrees outside. Um, like I it, sure. normally, I'd be at the gym on the treadmill, but uh, that was not an option. So, um, but yeah, as it's gotten warmer into the 50s and stuff, I've been doing a lot more um, outdoor running. Uh, got lovely trails, uh, like just near me, like along the, the river and everything. So I can do a little bit of that instead of just, um, you know, sidewalks. 
Yeah, I really, one of these weekends, I'm going to drive down to one of the places that the prairie path runs along. So I can run along that. That's the, um, it, oh, where does it run? It connects, it actually runs from like Forest Park up to Geneva. Oh, Um, it's a, like a bike trail. Um, Is that through like Thatcher Woods? Not really okay um this is great audio for everyone who uh, knows nothing about the (laughs) chicagoland area (laughs) um but anyway it runs west uh and is like a like a bike path and a running trail um oh kind of runs all over Hmm. uh but yeah just to give myself some different scenery yeah um yeah, I, I like usually start my runs without knowing where exactly I'm going and I'll make my decisions uh at the spur like at the spur of the moment. Uh but it's like, yeah, I really only have three or four possible routes I take. Um so maybe it'd be nice to drive out somewhere and try to run somewhere totally different and new. Yeah, I have my like this is where this is what I do when I wanna run two miles. This is what I do when I wanna run five K. Like I have I know where to turn mm-hmm. uh for a couple of different size loops. When I did the 10K, I just ran the two miles three times. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, well, uh, this is a, a running podcast where we just talk about our experiences running. Um, oh, my God. It would be four minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, this is, of course, a pop culture podcast where we are um, we're going to be talking about um, adaptations of real events like nonfiction works into quasi-fictionalized... I don't know how exactly you describe it. Um, we're talking about The Big Short, Michael Lewis's book about the um, stock market crash of 2008 and the uh, the guys who made a ton of money shorting the market. Uh, and then the 2015 movie uh, directed by Adam McKay of the same title, fictionalizing lightly uh, that book. Uh, but before we get into that, it's only fair that we're going to tell you what is stuck in our heads, basically just whatever piece of pop culture uh, we want to be talking about right now. So uh, Martha, what's stuck in your head? Well, so I have been playing a lot of Animal Crossing. Mm, uh, we have never talked about that on this show. Um, but the nice thing about that is that I have also started playing other video games. Mm. So, like, I've just been playing a lot of video games in general. Um, and the last couple of days, I have started playing a game called Kentucky Route Zero, which was originally released as, like, a series of episodes uh, through Steam, I believe, um, and then last year was compiled into one gaming experience. So it's like five episodes with a little interlude in between each one, um, and you play as a delivery guy who is looking for an address that may or may not exist, and in the first episode, you get directions from someone that may or may not be a ghost, <laughs> and that's kind of all I want to tell you about it, because this game completely slaps and i'm so deeply into it and i really do think that the less you know about it the better it is Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's like kind of spooky a little bit southern gothic type flavor um the animation is really not like anything i've ever seen before and it's a story driven game so it's a game that it's kind of impossible to be bad at which is one of my favorite genres of games <laughs> what's the um the interface like is it like a first person kind of thing or 
No, it's a third person. So like you, um, I'm, I'm playing on the switch, obviously. I think I said that. Um, but like you, you control a character that you see on the screen. So it's a okay. third person point of view. Um, the environment that you're interacting changes, in terms of like, is this a 2D side scroller? Is it more of a 3D environment that you can walk around? Like that changes based Got on it. the scene that you're in. Got it. Um, and it is the only game so far that I have ever played completely devoid of other distractions. Hmm. I do not listen to music while I am playing this game. I do not have the TV on. When I play this game, I am only playing sure. this game. Right. Fully immersed in it. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, it's a game that's impossible to be bad at because most of the story is driven by um, how you choose to interact with other characters. Hmm. So you're given dialogue options. Um, and then when you pick one, that's the one you've picked. There's no like tree to go back to. Sure. Um, but yeah, it rules. It's $25 on the Switch store. I, I think that you would enjoy it a lot, actually. All right. Well, if I uh, ever pry myself away from Animal Crossing, uh, I will give that <laughs> give that a look. Sure. <laughs> Although, to be fair, this this past week I've not been playing nearly as much Animal Crossing just because I was, like, I had other things going on. Um, and it, it was strange to be like, I've gone three days without playing it. That's uh, crazy. <laughs> that hasn't happened since March <laughs> when I did not own it. <laughs> yeah, I'm starting to get to the point where, like... I'm waiting on certain kinds of furniture mm -hmm. to show up or mm -hmm. like to get certain kinds of DIYs to kind of finish my vision. Um, but also it's nice to play something else for a while. Right. Totally. I have some like large scale projects I want to be doing, but I don't want to do them. You know, <laughs> it's like mm -hmm. I, I can envision them being completed and I just don't want to put in the time to do them. So one of these days I should actually just buckle down and, you know, make a proper garden and whatnot because mm -hmm. uh, right now my flowers are just everywhere <laughs> all right oh, yeah my flower situation is untenable <laughs> yeah same all right well uh what's stuck in my head is a, another podcast it's called oh hello the podcast um this is a continuation of uh oh, oh hello on broadway which um was a i believe a netflix show starring um uh, John Mulaney and Nick Kroll as George St. Geeglin and Charmed, I'm sure, Gil Faison, two Upper East Siders, uh, crotchety old men, um, who are, uh, sort of washed up artsy types. Um, Oh Hello the Podcast is their attempt to do a podcast. Uh, it begins with them exploring the death of Princess Di, but then rapidly becomes not that. Uh, it it features cameo appearances by people such as Ira Glass, Sarah Koenig, um, John Oliver, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Um, and I I really like <clears throat> their characters, um, and therefore I really like this podcast. I think it's a definite your mileage may vary situation. Uh, my wife, Marin, does not like the, their characters, <laughs> um, did not care for the, the Netflix show, uh, and would likely dislike this podcast. Um, yeah. It does a very good job at sending up the podcast medium, um, so it's. I would say it's well worth at least one listen, uh, especially if you like Mulaney and Kroll, um, just as, you know, comedians. Uh, very funny. Um, yeah. Yeah, I keep meaning to watch uh, Mulaney's new uh, Netflix thing. 
the um uh, sack pack lunch whatever yes yeah uh, i've it, heard it's very cute it's very cute it's very good um uh jake gyllenhaal is magical in it um, i have heard that <laughs> my my problem with it was that like i tend to dislike child actors the child actors in this are good uh but they're still child actors still um, child actors yeah, yeah. uh and, and as i'm watching it i'm just thinking like this is good i'd rather just a new stand-up special though um mm. but you know let him do what he wants to do i was gonna say he gets to try something new yeah exactly um yeah, so uh, give a listen to oh, oh Hello the Podcast if you are interested, and then uh, take a look at the, what's that called, Sack Pack, Snack Pack Lunch, Sack Pack Lunch Kids something on Netflix. Uh, yep. <laughs> cool. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the big short and adaptations of real things into lightly fictionalized things. So stick around. <laughs> So your homework for this episode was to read the Michael Lewis book, The Big Short, or as Martha and I both did, listen to it on audiobook, uh, and then watch the 2015 movie adaptation of it. Uh, the Big Short is about the 2008 housing financial crisis, uh, and specifically it's about a handful of people who uh, successfully bet against the stock market and made a ton of money uh, basically by predicting that the... Um, the financial institutions that were creating these various uh, brand new financial mechanisms had no idea what they were doing and were going to uh, lead to a <laughs> catastrophe, basically. Um, they made a bunch of money by basically buying insurance on what other people thought was perfectly safe uh, loans uh, that turned out to be very much not safe loans. Um, and so the, the the book and the movie both explore sort of them as as people, but also the various machinations that they were doing in order to, um, you know, make a bunch of money and explore how Wall Street kind of failed so badly. Um, I think I can speak for both of us when I say that this was a, t to me at least, it was both fascinating and constantly infuriating. Um, I, I, so mad. <laughs> yeah, I was lis listening to the book especially, it's like my... I had a, a simmering anger the entire time, uh, sometimes modulated with interest and sometimes modulated with big peaks of, of rage. Um, well, especially so. because I I have been seeing that we are staring down the barrel of this happening again. Mm -hmm. And we're not even... We're like I mean, 12 we're years like, out. Yeah. So... You know, to hear to hear them, especially in the movie, to hear so many people talk about like, oh, well, that would never happen. Mm -hmm. It's like, mm. yep. yep. <laughs> Guess what? Our our bank system is so irresponsible that not only did it happen then, it's about to happen again. Yes. Yeah. Um, the the thing I, I keep coming back to, and and we've promised that we're not going to spend too much time talking about the actual uh, financial machinations here, mostly because neither of us could probably explain it in any degree of correctness, um, and we're also not going to spend too much time uh, 
just how how rage inducing this all is but we're gonna spend a little bit of time on it um for me it's the idea that like these these wall street bankers and, and hedge fund managers uh were getting paid outrageous sums of money to basically make stuff up uh and then that caused the entire system to collapse um they were not smart enough to be doing what they were doing even though they thought they were and they were the highest paid people like in the world generating trillions of dollars of nothing like they they fabricated trillions of dollars and then when that fabrication was revealed um they destroyed the livelihood of uh billions of people um and suffered no repercussions hooray yes and meanwhile people like teachers and you know everything else get paid uh very little yeah we are you know our government spends billions of dollars to bail out the banks who behave incredibly irresponsibly mm -hmm. um and let the postal service die yep yep uh, and then they don't even, like, nationalize the banks or impose, like, they imposed some new rules, but uh, right now we are doing, uh, the, the government is doing everything it can to dismantle those rules that it had to, you know, in, put in place just 10, 10, 12 years ago. Love it. Yep, super good. Free markets. Not great. <laughs> but as we said, we're not going to spend too much time actually dissecting this event. Um but rather, uh, I think we, we chose these two because it was an easy way to look at how, first of all, how a, a true event like this gets presented in a like consumable format, and then how that gets adapted uh, for an even wider audience. Mm -hmm. Yes, this is the... I wasn't concerned going into this um, because I've listened to other Michael Lewis books before. I know he's an excellent writer who can explain complicated ideas in ways that I can understand. Um, and that proved to be mostly true in this as well. Um, I I think that's incredible on, on his part and kind of, kind of bold that he took this on. I could see this book being incomprehensible, and it, it wasn't to me. Um, you had a, a bit more trouble with it. Well, so here's the trouble that I had. I understand the concept. Like, I get, I, I get the idea, like, when they're talking about the high-risk loans, like, bundling the high-risk loans with um, more secure loans to make them all more packageable. Like, that, that makes sense to me. It's, the, where, where I, what I don't, truly understand <clears throat> excuse me is how christian bale's company was making money off of that and we don't need to explain that um but i i felt like the movie was trying very very hard to tell me what was going on there and i was like everything you're saying are, are words independently of each other <laughs> that i understand but there is something about the concept here that i am just not getting like mm -hmm. the the phrase bet against the housing market is used a bunch of times and i could not tell you what that means mm -hmm. um so like i I understood at the end of the day that banks were taking advantage of high-risk loans and that eventually that became unsustainable and that caused the the economic collapse. I I don't think that I fully, even after having it explained like 17 times, don't think I could <laughs> fully tell you how that happened. Mm -hmm. So w would you say that this was a 
um like uh, speaking of the books like specifically and then the movie do you think it was like effective um do you think that it would like do you think michael lewis succeeded at his um you know, oh yeah. Okay. I I, th- I think that um the the failure of comprehension is not Lewis's fault. Mm-hmm. It's um because clearly this is a this is a book and a story that a lot of people have found very accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I don't think and we can you can disagree on this. I actually don't know how you feel about this. Um, I don't know that the movie's primary goal was explanation in the same way that the um the books is i would agree with that in the sense that it's not the primary goal but i think that like unlike almost any other hollywood movie it has explanation as a secondary goal oh for sure but i i think the book's primary goal is demystifying this event Mm -hmm. and i think that the um movie's primary goal is incendiary (laughs) um yeah and and like entertainment you know yeah of course which is why we get scenes like when they someone is explaining some kind of loan while they're getting a um lap dance in a strip club (laughs) (laughs) right right uh the famous margot robbie in a bathtub uh Mm -hmm. uh how, how do you think that it worked as an adaptation because like it's it's also kind of insane that the idea that uh Adam McKay I think had directed the Hangover movies um and he is then going to adapt a incredibly dense uh, he he directed Anchorman uh and Step Brothers and the other guys and like all that you know all, all the Will well, Ferrell stuff and then he's going to go adapt this incredibly dense economic explainer nonfiction book um but it's also still, I mean, it's kind of still a frat house movie. Mm-hmm. Wall Street is literally just a frat house. Which, yeah, is, you know, feels appropriate to me. He will also go on from this to direct Vice, I mm-hmm. believe, mm-hmm. which is maybe in my top 10 movies that I hate the most. Interesting. I have I, not seen Vice. I hated vice wow i did not think it was well made i did not think that it was um yeah it actually felt like the student version of the big short like a lot of the same um mechanics yeah gimmicks end up being used but i don't think they were as effective and i don't even think that they were as well composed or as well presented part of that may just be the how strongly i feel about um what's his name dick cheney dick cheney yeah um who is a i mean the big short is about some truly reprehensible people um none of them <laughs> hold a candle dick cheney. yeah that's um, i think that's a, a completely accurate and fair assessment of, of that oh wasn't it great uh, when dick cheney was like the worst thing we had to worry about um but yeah so i i do think that everything he's made i i enjoyed the first hangover i really liked the other guys i I think i misspoke i don't think he did the hangover oh um but he actually that doesn't well let's see did you do like he did anchorman and that's like that's you know the big one did he do um talladega nights yes okay 
and stepbrothers. Okay, right. so yeah, he does like he does, he does the male centric right comedies. Right, he does the Will he does the Will Ferrell stuff. Yeah, so I, I guess like how how did you feel about like about it as an adaptation? To to circle back around to the question from ten minutes ago. <laughs> um, I I thought that he's. I kind of felt like it didn't need to be sexed up to the extent that he did. Like it's already a pretty enraging story and he work he is working very, very hard to like sensationalize it. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know that he needed to work that I don't know that we needed Margot Robbie in a bathtub <laughs> explaining these concepts to right. us. Right. Um but it also wasn't out of place with the like tonally it that that's the movie that he was making yes um yeah i i agree I like think, i did think it was weird that we um change everybody's name except burry's uh, yeah michael burry um i'm guessing that was a rights thing oh um, possibly where like no one else like you know it's like you can no, no one else really uh, was okay with with that and burry was like yeah that's fine I also wonder if it meant that he that McKay felt more of a license to because Burry doesn't really appear in any of the like truly sexed up um, scenes or sensationalized scenes. And I wonder if that gave McKay a little bit more of a license to like put in the titties Hmm, in, in the other scenes. Yeah, yeah, with other characters. Right, right. Well, it, it makes sense because it's like they're, you know, Burry isn't going off to Vegas. Everyone else is going off to Vegas for like the, the big conference. Um, and so that that's where you can sex it up a little bit because Vegas. Uh, and since he's not there, that like that kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was a great adaptation. You're right that it's not like its primary focus is not explaining. It's like having a good movie. Um but also, yeah, as you say, incendiary. Because <laughs> uh, I, I feel like it'd be the rare person who walked out of this movie not angry. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, well, you've got some questions, uh, some some broader questions that, uh, you know, you, we want to talk about in terms of general adaptations of or, and fictionalizations of real events. Yeah, so one of the reasons that I had kind of thought of this as a topic was because I'm sort of fascinated by what things get adapted, like how we choose the stories that we want to tell as an adaptation. And I don't just mean like a documentary, I mean like something like the Chernobyl series, where mm-hmm. it's a um, a true thing that happened that we make into a um, more widely consumable story mm-hmm. like how do we how do we make those choices um and then what changes do those stories go through in order to um you know presumably appeal to a wider audience mm-hmm. uh chernobyl is a great example of this as well um i i think that common things that happen are changes in time like either time gets compressed or it gets expanded um a lot of the intermediary steps that the book goes into sort of get like pushed to the side a little bit which makes sense like we're we we don't need to explain how these people got from point a to point c we can either quickly show it or just like posit that they did uh whereas the book will get you the point a point b point c breakdown 
Um, you were also talking about just like the the general sexing up of, you know, the the movie in terms in, in as opposed to the book. Um, well, I feel like that happens pretty frequently. Yes. Like, I I, I feel I think this came up when um, Ryan Murphy did the feud show. Oh, someone sued him hmm. because they were like you. Uh, yeah, it was um, the the show was feud um, about the uh, competition between Joan Crawford and Betty Davis for Best Actress mm-hmm. in 1963, and then um, Olivia de Havilland sued him over her portrayal in the show because she was like, "I didn't say those things, I didn't do those things," um, because she felt that he like over dramatized her role and like made her you know portrayed her in an unflattering way um sorry i i lost the thread of what i was saying while i was looking all of those <laughs> things up. well and and like that's that happens in this like you know we were just talking about how um other than michael berry uh, michael berry's character um michael ba- christian bale's character michael berry um all the names are changed uh even though like almost like scene for scene event for event it seems like it's the same events happening um but once we actually start putting you know words into the people's mouths and having them act in certain ways uh either they need you know you need the the carte blanche permission from the real person um or you change the name and lightly fictionalize it and um you know go from there yeah i actually did not do any research about this and i should have um when you are portraying real people like this like did adam mckay have to go to michael burry and say i want to put you in a movie Mm -hmm. like does he does he have to is that an obligation that he has i i think so uh if if you i know if you're using someone's likeness um you need to do that so i would imagine if you're using someone's you know actual self (laughs) as it were makes me wonder what ryan murphy did or didn't makes me wonder how ryan murphy got away with making um the future anyway if he did not you know do his due diligence with olivia de havilland yeah yeah well and who knows maybe it's a thing where it's like for certain like some people are and i know this is true in general um sort of the more public you are the less like the harder it is to prove certain things so like um uh like libel and slander are in the u.s have a much higher bar if you are like a intensely public figure such as a celebrity or a um like politician uh than Mm -hmm. if you're a private person um fair like maybe that was going on here he didn't have to do quite so much paperwork for olivia olivia de havilland because she is a like you know public figure uh in a way Mm -hmm. that you know um steve carell's character (laughs) (laughs) right exactly um why do we why this story which feels like kind of a cheat because i i would argue that relevance well actually i guess it's not a cheat because i think my answer to why did this why do we think this story got chosen for an adaptation is because of relevancy Mm -hmm. Um, and that's also like why we picked this as homework uh we are sort of spitballing ideas you wanted to do an adaptation of a, a real event um like a a, sort of a a cataclysmic event in a way um 
different than what we're currently going through. Uh, and I mean, this... it definitely, definitely changed the world. Right, exactly. Um, and this was sort of the most recent example of that we had. Um, yeah, I, I agree with relevancy. I also think that it's, like, everyone knows that there was a, a you know, stock market crash and, and housing bubble burst and whatnot in 2008 that sent us down the road for a uh, recession and screwed over our entire generation. But I, I feel like <laughs> very, <laughs> very few people know how it happened or what it was about. It was just like, yeah, I know the stock market crashed or something. Like, so I, I can see there being the interest the market in you know a, a story that explains that a little bit more um mm -hmm. just because it's like you you see it but you also walk away with a bit of a better understanding of what exactly happened yeah especially because i've i've i can i can see how something like this um like the stock market how when that not the stock market, when the housing market crashed, it affected so many people on such a wide scale. And I'm sure a lot of the people were like, how, mm -hmm. why, like, right, right. why am I, why are my, why is my retirement investment suddenly like worth nothing? Right. Like I, I was doing what people were telling me to do. Like I, mm -hmm. you know, the, the banks are supposed to be, uh, you know, the ones in charge of this. Like, what, what do you mean they gave me a loan that I didn't like? <laughs> that that i couldn't pay uh you know uh, and, and again like you said like the retirement like state of michigan puts all its money into this so like now you know uh, you know <laughs> workers pensions for like state workers pensions are wiped out it's like they did nothing wrong they were doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing mm -hmm. um you bringing up chernobyl earlier sort of got me thinking about this as well i do i i like the idea a lot of especially for big events that people are aware of but don't really know about, having the the deeper explanation, I think, is just really core to us as people. Um, or at least to, to me. I Obviously, I'm <laughs> uh, history-minded. I, I think it's true for most people, though. Like, we've all heard about, like, Chernobyl, but, like, before that miniseries, I could have told you, eh, it was a nuclear reactor problem in the Soviet Union in the 80s? Uh, end of knowledge, you know? Well, that was why I listened to the book. Oh, right. I still need to do that. Let me go add that to my Goodreads right now. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know that I talked about it on this podcast, but I listened to Midnight in Chernobyl, which I had it in my head was um, what the TV, the miniseries was based off of. And I don't know that that's true. Um, I may just have heard about both of them at the same time or in the same conversation. Mm -hmm. Um but I, I haven't watched the show yet, um, but I did listen to the book. And yeah, Chernobyl feels like the kind of thing that we have all been kind of culturally fascinated by, mm -hmm. which is why there's also like a horror movie set in Chernobyl. So like it is it is a an event that clearly has gotten some wider cultural uh, dissemination. And I think that there are some events in our history that, you know, I, I think that the big short the purpose there was kind of explanatory. Like we are, this got made into a movie because it happened and it affected a lot of people and nobody really understood why it was affecting us the way that we, the way that it did. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have events like Chernobyl that we are all sort of fascinated by in the same way that one is fascinated by a train 
a train crash. Right. Um, although saying uh, uh, that out loud. A train loud is, uh, full of uh, radioactive material. Right. Saying that out loud is also probably some of the reason why the Big Short got adapted, because that is a train wreck that we were all part of. <laughs> right. Um, and also, like, forcibly can't look away from. Right, right. Um, probably related, but like, why are we drawn to stories that make us angry? Oh, because we all love being angry. And if we can direct that in a, like, it is, it's useful for me to be angry about the economic situation. Like that is the kind of anger that hopefully would drive me to some sort of action. Mm -hmm. It is not useful for me to be angry that there is currently a virus keeping me inside my house. (laughs) Because there's nothing you can do other than stay inside your house. Like the stuff that it, it is useful to be angry at things that I can, or I have the illusion of being able to affect in some way. I mean, realistically, I probably can't do anything about our government's insistence on bailing out the big banks. Right. Um, but, but you can make sure that you're voting out the people who are doing it and, you know, never voting Republican and all the rest of it. Yeah, I can call my congressman. Mm-hmm. I yeah. can, you know, there there are things that I can do to help kind of channel that. We can get into the kind of existential despair that occurs when I do those things and nothing happens. Mm-hmm. But that's a different <laughs> question. Right. Um, but well, yeah, anger, anger is an emotion. And I think anger is an emotion where unlike... Um, Unlike depression or sadness, anger is useful. Mm-hmm. Or it can be. It can, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I definitely think there's a, a cathartic sense to the anger from this as well. Um, yeah, it it is tricky. I feel like, I, I mean, I was t- we were talking during the break. I listened to a lot of, like, politics podcasts and stuff, um, mostly from Vox Media. And they're good explainer deep dive weed weedsy kind of podcasts um but also just consuming that means that there's a a baseline of just like constant anger in what i'm consuming because like how dare these people you know um our elected officials um i live in the great state of wisconsin i've been very angry for the past two months about the our supreme court um and just the way that the republicans completely took over the state in anti-democratic ways um and that's good to you know have that feeling and and all the rest but also i can feel like it's you know that constant level might be less than healthy um but also like i consume a lot of politics so it's it's very much just who i am mm-hmm. yeah i i struggle with it a bit because it's like should i be you know is is this healthy for me or is this you know less than healthy for me um but i i feel like the the solution would be just to to tune out entirely and that's not a solution that's you know that's giving up yeah i don't i don't i don't really have anything useful to add to that except that yeah Um, but it is nice to have like a targeted anger rather than a, a vague diffuse anger, like, <laughs> which, which I think this gives. Yes. It's like, Ooh, I know who to be mad at. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, and, and the last question you have is, is did we learn anything from these adaptations? Um, I assume you're talking about more than just, did we learn, you know, what a CDO tranche was? Yeah. Like does, does learning about, 
what happened leading up to the housing collapse is learning that useful to us like presumably part of the goal of telling these stories is like if we are more familiar with our history we are less inclined to repeat it do we feel that that is true do we feel that understanding the science behind what led to the chernobyl explosion is that useful for us in preventing a future uh chernobyl incident kind of thing yeah i mean on on the small scale level it doesn't matter if I know what caused these things because I am not involved in the, um, you know, the fields where that would have an impact. Sure. Um, but on the other hand, I think it is, it is, I am pro people knowing more things about things. Um, so even though I will have no impact on nuclear reactor design, I think it is useful to know what caused the problem there. Um, if only because, well, you know, it seeing systems fail and seeing systems that were thought to be, uh, you know, unsinkable sink, uh, I think is useful because it it's sort of like, no matter what field you're in, you can develop a sense of hubris about something. Like, there's no way this will ever change. There's no way that this could ever fail. Seeing major failures happen um, and seeing ostensibly smart people fail to notice them um, as they're literally failing, I think is just a useful sort of check on all of us. Um, even if, you know, the failures we might be dealing with or not um, of the nuclear reactor or global, you know, economic crisis level. Well, and I would and I would also say that, um, you know, in relation to the Chernobyl incident, like, no, you and I are not physicists. So would we get a chance to, like, prevent that reactor from happening? No. But part of what happened that I understood from reading the book was also um, a culturally bred fear of losing one's prestigious job. Like what would, so one of the people who made one of the decisions that ultimately led to the reactor failing, the decision was made because he didn't want to tell his supervisor no and lose his job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like, that kind of attitude is bred into our culture. And that's the kind of thing that you and I are part of and, you know, on a smaller scale could like contribute to. Yeah. Well, it's like, um, and, and I like that, that's sort of the, the, the negative side of it. Like the, the, cultural values and whatnot that that lead to failures in that direction um something like the big short obviously has that but it also has the positive side of it which is the people who are critically thinking about the system in a way that no one else is and figuring out um you know what its problems are like where its fail points will be um and then in the big short obviously they use that for their own personal gain um but it's also like it's good to see examples of people who are like deeply interrogating whatever like the, the received wisdom of whatever it is um <laughs> and and figuring out like why that isn't true what the fail points are um whether you're gonna do that for personal gain or you know to to be a whistleblower on it or what have you um i think that's that's very useful to like to see that happening because mm -hmm. then you could apply it to your own life mm -hmm. um 
total aside, but vaguely related, did you, what order did you consume these in? Like, did you watch the movie first, then listen to it, vice versa? Um, I, I started listening to the book um, and listened to it throughout the week and like sometime in the middle of the week I watched the movie. Mm -hmm. So you were like halfway through the book when you watched the movie? Yeah, about. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Um, do you think that uh, changed your, your relationship to the movie at all? Like, and I know you had seen the movie before. Um, I spent more time watching the movie trying to figure out who was who. Mm. Like trying to be like, okay, so Steve Carell is that guy that I was listening to. Or listening about. Yeah, I, I spent more time watching the movie, um, kind of matching up uh, events in the movie to what I had been listening to in the uh, mm -hmm. in the book. Mm -hmm. um, I, I had finished the book before I watched the movie. And like you, I had seen the movie, you know, back when it came out. Um, I didn't remember it. Super, I remembered enjoying it a lot, but I couldn't have like told you the blow by blow that well. Um, and yeah, I also like having listened to the whole book first and then watching the movie, uh, it was interesting. I, I too was like matching up the events and the people, um, a lot more, uh, and sort of, <laughs> uh, appreciated the scene where Ryan Gosling turns to the camera and says that actually happened. Uh, because I yeah. had, because I had said that, uh, not 30 seconds before he did to my wife. <laughs> so... I thought it was an interesting choice making Ryan Gosling's character, um, like the, the like, yeah, the our our fourth wall breaking character. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, especially because the guy that he's based on seems like an absolute piece of work. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> which like Go Gosling plays very well. Well, uh, anything else you want to talk about uh, with either the Big Short specifically or adaptations in general? Um, no, I don't think I have anything else to to say about this particular. Cool. How are you feeling? You think you, we covered it? Yeah, I do. All right. Well, that is going to be that for the episode. Um, thank you so much for listening. You can find us on, you already know this, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, everywhere else. Please, though, do rate and review us wherever it is you're listening to us. Tell your friends, share it on, you know, the social medias, what have you. Um, this is a, a good, like, anger that you can do something with episode. So, uh, you know, don't just be sitting in, at home uh, angry about Corbin. Be sitting at home angry about other things. <laughs> um, you can tweet at us at DYDYH uh, uh, podcast. That's also our Instagram handle. You can find us on Facebook by searching for Did You Do Your Homework podcast. Uh, I think even just Did You Do Your Homework is going to show up on Facebook. And you can email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Pico3000, P I K O3000, where I'm talking politics and pop culture. Um, and also nice things sometimes. Martha, how about you? Uh, you can find me on social media at all the places um, at Magical Martha. Um, lately, I've been tweeting a lot about what I make for dinner because <laughs> cooking makes me happy right now. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, I don't know. It's all, it's all bad. Yeah. Uh, any other uh, show you want to plug? 
Uh, yeah, on uh, this same feed on Alternating Wednesdays, I do another podcast called Love Ya, where uh, Pete's wife Marin and I watch a streaming teen movie or rom-com, uh, teen rom-com, I should specify, uh, and then dissect it for your enjoyment. Our last episode was on Booksmart, and our next episode upcoming is on the new Netflix original, The Half of It. Nice. All right. Our next episode is, uh, we teased this last episode, uh, but it's a, a, a tronky uh, history book, so we wanted to give you a little bit of a, a, a runway time for it. We're talking about The Great Influenza by John M. Barry, uh, the one of the definitive works on the 1918 flu epidemic. Um, because, you know, that's, weirdly, this might shock you, uh, this book has seen a massive spike in sales in the last couple months. Um, so, there we go. People are thinking about it. Um Yep, and the whole list for the ebook through my library was approximately 12 million years long. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I bought it from my local indie bookseller. I also bought mine from my local indie bookseller. Support your libraries and support your local indie booksellers. Um, so anyway, that's what you're going to be reading or listening to for our next episode. Uh, after that, we're going to have something lighter. We haven't figured out what exactly, but we've had two sort of serious uh, nonfiction uh, episodes. So we're going to dive back into something lighter and frothy and fun. Uh, but until then, um, thanks so much for listening and class dismissed.